The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That is Exodus 34, verse 6, and this is the Living the Word Bible Podcast. I'm Sarah Chris Meyer, talking with women about the Bible and the difference it makes in our lives. God's love and mercy get called into question sometimes, particularly in the Old Testament, where in spite of what I just read, God describes himself to Moses as abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Well, some people think, especially in the Old Testament, that he's angry and vindictive. You know, who is our God and how do we know? How can we be sure? My guest today found her own perspective on God radically changed when she started to study the Bible and discovered God, not just in the New Testament, but the Old Testament as well in the story of Israel. Catherine Torgerson Wade is director of curriculum and also a full-time faculty member at the Catholic Biblical School of Michigan. Catherine, welcome to the Living the Word Bible podcast. Thank you so much. It's so good to have you here. Uh, Catherine is the author of quite a few of the um, introductions to books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, some of the wisdom books, maybe a few others in the Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible. So you are guaranteed to come across her while you are reading. (laughs) I I want to know more about how you got to know God in the Bible. But first, tell us something about yourself. You know, who is Catherine Torgerson? Well, I am, to kind of knock off the Catholic questions, I left the faith and then returned. It was part of the product of the 70s and 80s catechesis generation. And I I am an example of hope that children who have wandered away will eventually find their way back. And mm. I got married in middle age, which most of my friends were kind of shocked who were married that anyone would be daring enough to try to do that <laughs> at middle age. So that has been a big new, a recent blessing in my life. And I'm learning new things about the sacrament of marriage and having my family size just grow exponentially and see all the joy there is in that. And I spent a long time finding God in nature before I actually came back and found God in the church. But I still find that getting out in nature is a good way to get re-centered. And I do a lot of prayer while I'm out walking and Mm. get clarity sometimes out on walks that I don't get if I'm just praying in my living room. Nice. Very nice. Well, when did, you know, if you're spending time finding God in nature, when when did you first get interested in the Bible? I would say I have a clear recollection of reading the book of wisdom when I was in maybe eighth or ninth grade. So Hmm. probably the Bible I got for confirmation. And then I just, you know, went to college, ended up out in the world and I I got a degree in philosophy, Hmm. which for me, my faith wasn't interior and it wasn't personal enough to sort of withstand that. And I really couldn't find a logical reason to believe in God. I don't know mm-hmm. if I could say I even have a logical reason to believe in God today, but I've certainly had the experience of a relationship with God now that overrides that logic. Mm-hmm. So I was outside of Christianity for a while after that influence. And then started to come back. And then, of course, the Bible was something, well, maybe I should know more about this as an adult. So I bought my first adult Bible and started reading it. And then through a series of other events, ended up studying it more formally. So it was sort of, there was this little burst of inspiration sort of in my early formative years. 
And then, you know, 25 years later, sort of a reignition of that. Hmm. What grabbed you about it? I'm not really certain. I just, I remember reading that book of wisdom, you know, when I was 13 or 14 and just thinking, yes, I, I want more of this. This is good information for hmm. life. It's too bad I didn't hold on to that when I went <laughs> into my adult life as a young adult. And then when I came back, it was just starting to see the connections in scripture that it, while it is a series of different writings written over a long period of time, there are definitely prophecies that come true at the time of Jesus, which really helped me to appreciate mm -hmm. Jesus was more than just a historical man figure, that there was more going on than meets the eye. And that curiosity just sort of kept growing as I read more. So how did your vision of who God was change when you started reading? What did you, what did you think he was before? Or did you think about that? I think probably I saw God more, as probably many people do, a more distant, more authoritarian mm. figure who may or may not care about us. And then as I started studying scripture, especially when I was working in my graduate level classes for my master's degree in theology, I had a wonderful couple of classes with Archbishop Mike Burns, who at the time was Father Burns. And he spent a lot of time talking to us about how, as adults, we really can wrestle with God's word and that we mm. bring our whole life experience to God's word. And so that helped me dig into the nitty gritty more and start to see my own life in God's word. Mm. And that it wasn't just for perfect people who I felt I had absolutely nothing in common with which was also my view of the saints. I thought the saints were all these perfect people who had yeah. never understood that I had nothing in common with. And so I was learning more about what the truth of spiritual life is and journey with God and growth with God and how God truly does have that mercy and graciousness and steadfast love that no matter how many times we turn away or how far away we go, he's just there waiting for us to come back and he's waiting with open arms and he wants to help us. And we can take all of our junk to him and he doesn't care. He, he's happy to receive <laughs> it and heal it and help us move forward. So the things I thought I should try to hide from God or should fear God about, I realized are not at all true because right there in the Bible, people have had those same experiences, done the same things, had the same fears, and God was always there. So can you give an example? Did anybody in particular stand out to you? I don't know if there's a particular, I mean, when I, different people in different phases of my life will relate to it. Sometimes like Moses gets frustrated with the Israelites when he's leading them through the wilderness. And probably anyone who has been a teacher or a parent at some point in time is like, God, why did you give me these people? And, and so, you know, I can sense that sometimes. The book of Job of just questioning why God, why? And not getting a real clear answer from God to answer that, but yet knowing God is very much present. And my class on the Psalms, really digging into the Psalms and reading every verse of every Psalm completely changed my prayer life because I learned honesty with God. And I hmm. never understood that we can be that honest with God in prayer. Hmm. So that truly was transformative for me because I saw we can give God absolutely anything. Even the emotions we may have been told we're not supposed to have as Christians. We can take all of that to God and then let him deal with it. 
Is there anyone in particular you keep going back to? It it varies in life. It, it varies in time. Yeah. I would say now I've worked a little more out of some of the more, here's my pain, into more of the, here's my joy, and, and here's mm. resting with God. So that's been a good trajectory in my journey. I, I don't have these feelings of anger or God, just please take your revenge on these people like maybe I used to. Mm-hmm. But rather, I'm now when I read scripture, I see a lot more, okay, God, here's how you're supporting me in my frustrations. Here, yeah. Here's God coming to me with words of comfort as opposed to me going to him with words of anger. <laughs> or uh, what I love is how you go with those words of anger, but if you're praying with the Psalms, it changes your words yeah. and it, it helps you shift into that praise mode and it, your heart follows. And they, they're so clearly too, is that it's taking that anger and frustration and giving it to God so that it's not controlling us anymore. It's a way of, to mm-hmm. put it in more Christian language, it's laying at the cross our burdens for Jesus to carry and to manage. Yeah. And being honest about it. So let's get back to the Old Testament again for a minute. I remember, I don't know, 20 or 30 years ago, something longer than I'd like to admit, I was (laughs) starting to teach a a class at the parish on Genesis. And I was at a soccer game, sort of sitting sitting in the sidelines, preparing my notes. And a neighbor came up and sat by me and he's like, what are you doing? And I said, I was, you know, teaching a class on Genesis. And he was just flabbergasted. He's like, what? Like, you know, Noah's Ark and Adam and Eve. And I said, yeah, it's wonderful. And he looks at me and he's like, those are kids' stories. (laughs) (laughs) And I would like to pose that question to you. I mean, are they kids' stories? Do you teach them in your classes? Do you think that people need to still read them? You know, what's, what's with those early books of the Bible that are so, seem so far removed from us? Yeah, that's such a great question because It's lessening more, but it is part of sort of our Western cultural conscience, the idea of Adam and Eve and a snake and Noah's Ark and the plagues and the going through the Red Sea and maybe the Tower of Babel. So we have all these sort of epic stories as part of our our language and our ideas. And we often learn them as children. I just saw something in the store today and I was kind of jealous that they got it instead of me, but it was a a jigsaw puzzle of Noah's Ark. And I love Noah's Ark. So what do we do with these stories that we met when we were maybe six years old when we are adults and do they have value? And that is something that I love teaching Genesis for this very reason, because it is the first book that we teach at the Catholic Biblical School of Michigan in our four-year study of the whole Bible. And we go back to the beginning so we can start reading these very early books with adult eyes and Mm -hmm. realize that as children, we got the G-rated version. But the Bible (laughs) as a whole is not G-rated. And that can be hard for a lot of people to realize that sometimes our heroes of the Bible do sin and do make mistakes. And yeah, that's another demonstration that God is there with us in it all. And so I challenge the people in my classes, okay, now you probably know the vague outline of this story. Now read it with adult eyes and see what you see new this time. And they often do see a much deeper understanding of God's love, of what he's doing, of how much as humans we are so easy to make our own mistakes and get off the path. And those 
early books are just so foundational for everything else that comes in the Bible. And that happens even from a literary perspective. A lot of the imagery in the opening couple of chapters of Genesis gets repeated in the closing chapters of the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible. Mm-hmm. The Bible itself is really coming full circle and saying we started in paradise with God. The whole Bible is trying to get back there, and that's where we are headed as long as we stick with the journey. So take that story of Noah's Ark. What's the difference between reading it with children's eyes and reading it with adults' eyes? <laughs> what do you get out of it? Oh, with kids' eyes, we all know the animals went two by two and got saved. <laughs> with adult eyes, <laughs> we suddenly discover it wasn't just 40 days of rain. It was 40 days of rain and then weeks of waiting for the waters to recede. And so what seems like perhaps in our mind, a kind of short month-long journey is suddenly multiple months long. And we sort of realize the challenge of doing something that's countercultural. And the mm. people around Noah didn't understand what he was doing. And then after the flood, there's a whole series of things that happen. There's sacrifice, there's sin, there's the rainbow, but there's a lot more depth of meaning to the rainbow in terms of God making a covenant with all of creation. So we pick up on all these little details that we don't hear when we're six. And something that occurs to me, you know, when you're six, it's pretty easy to think of God punishing the bad guys, you know, and you don't even ask that question, but (laughs) you frequently get that question, what kind of God would wipe out the earth? Right. And if God does this to people then, what does he want to do to us today? You know, how bad are we? How bad am I in my heart? And I think there's a little fear there when we realize, well, wait a minute, would God want to do this to me? And that's a big struggle. Reading, especially the Old Testament, is really hard if we're not familiar with it because we see disasters come and we see, and how the language you use may vary, but we see how God causes or allows bad things to happen, which sometimes includes faithful people. And so that's a real place, again, where as adults, we wrestle with it in a different way than we do as children. Children, mm-hmm. you know, up to a certain age, it's sort of very black and white. There's, this is right, this is good, this is my group of people, and everybody else is different. And then as we get older, we start to see shades of gray. And maybe, well, mm-hmm. I've got friends who aren't Christian, well, what does that mean? And, and things like that. And so then we start struggling with these things at a deeper level and really having to spend time thinking about them. And what is this really telling us? Is it telling us that God is mean, or is it telling us that actions have consequences and we all need to make our choices? I think it's in the book of Sirach, it it says something like, sin in a way is its own punishment, because Mm. when we're sinning, our life is not being lived to the fullness. And so we sort of bring it on ourselves. The, The other thing that you see if you read that whole story and you keep on reading is that Even if, so say you think, okay, it's wonderful that God punishes the bad guys because the description of the bad guys is pretty bad. (laughs) It's very (laughs) bad. They're ever only, always continually evil. Right. There's a lot of badness going. So he wipes the slate clean, but then that doesn't make a difference. You know, he saves the one righteous man and his family and still there is sin. So it kind of opens our minds to know, oh, something else has to be done here. What's it going to be? Kind of keeps you looking for the next thing. Right, exactly. And that's 
that's something I think that we don't often think about. But then when we read the Old Testament, we realize, well, pretty much all of the sins we commit today were being committed then. This is part of what it means to be a fallen human, and yet God hasn't given up on us. I mean, he could have just wiped creation clean at the flood and started over with something that isn't human, but he stuck with humanity. And that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. He has some investment in humanity that maybe we forget. And that's part of why he's steadfast. Because every time he could have just started over from scratch, he actually doesn't. He always finds that faithful person he's going to work through. And the way we know that is by reading the whole thing and not just reading, not just cherry picking the story, because you can cherry pick a lot of really kind of disturbing things. But then when you look at the whole, who is hey. God? And that gets back to that first issue, you know, is God mean and vengeful and angry, or is he mercy? And is he love, not just merciful, not just loving, but mercy and love? And so did you, did you come to that realization with your reading? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we see God, and this is a big debate is, you know, how does God respond to prayers? But we certainly see in scripture that God will have a plan laid out and then someone will intercede for God's mercy and God's mercy comes forth. Yeah. So it, that's a constant reminder. I would say definitely through reading scripture, I have come to believe in and trust in and pray for God's mercy hmm. a lot more than I used to, because I truly do believe as God, he has the right to do whatever he wants. <laughs> he can certainly you know, <laughs> wipe everything out if he wants to. But at the same time, over and over and over again, his mercy comes through. And so I trust in that and I rely on that a lot more than I used to. Yeah, so we see that. We see that in Moses. We see it in Abraham with Sodom and Gomorrah. Those things come immediately to mind. I'm sure right. there are more. Exactly. Again, great examples right from the start of the Bible where God's really kind of laying out the foundation of everything to follow. Yeah. So after Genesis, how do you, how do you kind of lead people through the Bible? Do you just go through the book in, in canonical order or how do, you, how do you do it in your classes? <laughs> well, in our four-year course, and we have shorter ones that just do portions, but in our full four-year course of the whole Bible, we start the first year with the basically history of ancient Israel. So we do mm -hmm. the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. And then we do the historical books, which is sort of what happens between the time of Moses and the time of Jesus. And so it's the narrative history, and it, it goes through people like Joshua and King Saul and King David. And we get little glimpses of some of the great prophets, and then it ends about 100 years before Jesus with Second Maccabees, when the Jews are kind of coming together to reignite their faith. And then in the second year, in that first year, we pretty much learned we can't do it on our own. We need God. And so mm -hmm. in the second year, we get God's true answer to all of our problems, which is, of course, Jesus. And so we study Matthew, Mark, and Luke to meet Jesus through the Synoptic Gospels and try to really understand him and meet him personally. And then we get into the early church. So who is carrying on the ministry of Jesus after his resurrection? And so we read Acts and Paul's letters. And so in the first two years, we're really getting an overall foundation, sort of a salvation history. Mm -hmm. We end the second year with the letter to the Hebrews, which looks toward heaven and Jesus' mm -hmm. role there as our mediator. And then we go back and sort of repeat everything, but at a deeper level. So our third year is the prophets, and we mm -hmm. get more of God's perspective of the history. 
And in the fourth year, we do Psalms, wisdom, literature, John's gospel, and we end everything with the book of Revelation. Again, coming full circles that we end where we began. And so the fourth year especially, I think is wonderful for really digging in and bringing our lives to God because the Psalms and wisdom literature, again, show so much about how God can meet us in our day-to-day concerns and daily lives. Hmm. We do that first year doing the really the history of ancient Israel in a way so that when we meet Jesus the second year, the people in our classes have the same understanding that Jesus' first followers would have, at least at some oh, level of Jewish history, because mm-hmm. if Jesus came to fulfill what came before, we should probably know a little bit about what came before. So that, that sort of helps them see yeah the ebb and flow of human faithfulness and what God does for his people, and yet how we need something more than just good kings and prophets. We need a Messiah to come and truly save us. And then you also get, of course, a lot of aspects of the covenant and the kingdom that form kind of a blueprint for what we believe and how we live in the church. Exactly. And that's something I actually love about teaching the opening books of the Bible is how much of Catholicism is found in Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus, which a lot of people are very surprised by. But we talk about the Trinity and we talk about Mary and Jesus and the role of the Holy Spirit. And when they're going through the desert, we have prefigurements of the Eucharist and we have a tabernacle built. And when you look at the layout of the tabernacle, it's the same basic blueprint for our churches today. So It's wonderful to see that even what we're doing now, thousands of years later, relates to what was happening then. And that continuity Mm -hmm. of the covenant with God and that he is still there through it all. He is still working with and through and for us. And you start to see how your life is part of that same story and it helps to make sense of it. And exactly. That sounds yeah. right, but it really does. <laughs> but yeah, it's so true. If we can help people really see themselves as a part of God's story of salvation history, that's great. Because just as all of those other people were a part of it that we read about, so are we just at this point in history. Yeah. Uh, I know it now, by this point, you've been teaching for quite a long time in the biblical school. Did you, were you one of the founding members of that? that I was. I, I started out teaching just one class and uh, from there moved on into teaching more than one and, and et cetera. So it's been, I think, 13 or 14 years now. Wow. Wow. Well, what, I mean, that's a lot of students that have gone through your room. <laughs> you know, what are, what would you say is the biggest challenge to coming to the Bible as an adult and starting to read it? It's not what we think it is. Ah, Unpack yeah. that a little. What do, what do you mean by that? It It's kind of getting back to a lot of us have a childlike view of scripture and a childlike view of who God is. And mm-hmm. there's the good childlike that Jesus talks about coming with openness and innocence and, and just love and embracing. But then there's the more naive type where we haven't really thought about this for maybe a few decades in a serious way. And so a lot of people do come in thinking, for example, God, the Old Testament is only about punishment. And we see very much he's not, which is good. But then some people are also very much surprised at how much the Old Testament reveals real life. It has war. Mm -hmm. It has incest. It has rape. All of these things that we don't hear when we're six, we don't hear at Sunday Mass. 
So it can be kind of a shock to discover these things in the Bible. You know, I was looking for the, the maybe PG version, and instead I got the adult version of what happened in salvation history. And so that leads to some wrestling. But that's how we grow. Well, it's like you said about the saints. You know, you said you you expected <laughs> kind of a, an alabaster saint who's perfect, and then you find out they have warts. <laughs> right. Yes. But I, I hear that sometimes. So I have a Protestant background and, oh, but the Pope sinned, you know, so how can they be the Pope? How, <laughs> and it, they just not forgetting that ever since the beginning, God has worked with flawed human beings. And so you can... When we read the Bible, I think we expect to see perfection to copy, but what we actually see is that it meets us where we are. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> they're just like me. Now what? And you can see how God works with them and loves them over time. And you, you have to read the whole thing though, don't you think? I mean, I remember going through, by the time you get to the end of Genesis, it's like an Exodus, this is God's people. You know what? Losers. <laughs> All they do is whine and complain and do the very thing God told them not to do. <laughs> I know. And if God is going to establish his kingdom on them, why did he choose them? So it raises right? some really big, big questions, but ultimately they're wonderful because we're just like them. Exactly. And, and that's something if we can understand that if God could use flawed people, then he can use flawed people now. And that includes us. Yep. Yep. You and me. That's great. So if you were to tell somebody who can't go to biblical school, you know, and who has never read the Bible, how, how would you encourage them to get started? Just pick up and read. <laughs> the great words of St. <laughs> Augustine. Pick up and read. That's what got him into it. It's We have a great fear, I think, of the Bible. And yet, for 2,000 years, people have been reading the Bible without fancy teachers and fancy footnotes. Study Bibles, as we think of them, only came into existence in the middle of the last century. Mm -hmm. And I think, especially with Catholics, there's this perception of, I might understand it wrong if I just pick it up and read. And truthfully, God will help us understand things if we ask him. If we're open to it, this is sort of where that childlike faith comes in. Trust that God will be there with us. I mean, if I at age like 13 could read the book of wisdom and fall in love with it, even though I didn't understand any of the fancy theology words in it that now I can define from an academic grad school level, you know, I can talk to all of us. And maybe it helps to start with something short, like St. Paul's letter to the Philippians or a couple of Psalms and, and just you know, see what they say and, and think about the images being created with the words and see where it leads you. Start with the I gospel. It, I mean, Mark's gospel is short and quick. Luke's gospel mm -hmm. has a lot of the, the feel-good stories like the Good Samaritan that we like to read. So those are also good places to start because they're a little more familiar. I'm always, and maybe focus on what does make sense to you. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, write down your questions, but it, it does help to know where to go when you have questions, because I know from my first 30 years of my life that a lot of people who could just go by the Bible can come up with all kinds of different ideas and definitely do understand a lot of it wrong. Yes. So we've been given the church as a guide and, you know, those philosophy classes that you took and the <laughs> theology, it certainly helps. But 
you know, we need to be formed in our faith and that God yeah. has given us the church and we have resources today. There are so many resources to help us. It's just uh, an amazing. Yeah, there's yeah. wonderful commentaries, especially on the New Testament. The, the, the Old Testament is still a bit harder for entry-level commentaries, but there's shorter and longer commentaries for the New Testament written by faithful Catholics and there's wonderful websites with information. So what we have available is just incredible today. And we, again, we should not fear exploring God's word when we know we have these resources out there to help us. And yeah. when there are things we don't understand, we can go look them up in a way that people 100 years ago couldn't. It's such a great gift. And I know people who read through the Bible the whole thing, just kind of read straight through, yeah. not bothering to stop too much for questions, but just let's get an idea of the story. Mm -hmm. What's this thing about? And many times they go back and read it again and read it again. And it's amazing how when we do that, the Holy Spirit will start connecting things in our mind and start slowly making it more clear. And yeah. then as we do that too, our faith becomes more alive and we can apply what we've been taught to believe and what we know to be true. Because of our Catholic faith, we can read the scripture through that lens and it, it starts to really come alive for us. Yeah. So, yeah, those guys that help us to know what to look for and then to start seeing them cropping up all over the Bible, that can really be transformative you know, because you see yeah. those themes building and you realize all of these different books are telling one story. And, and that's really beautiful. It's a real testament that it is the word of God. And that God wants us to have this and he wants us to believe. And there's no question that he, he speaks through his word to us. And if we read it with an open heart and a desire to know, he will speak to us. And like so. you said, reading it multiple times can make a huge difference. And that's something, you know, I've probably taught Genesis 10 times now, but I'm always learning new things. Sometimes through my own prayer with the scripture, sometimes from people in my classes, you know, if we take time, there's always more there that God can show us. And I think yeah. that is another kind of fallacy that we can bring to reading the Bible, especially in our modern age. We like our checklist. We like to say, I'm done. And yet reading a book of the Bible once does not mean you're done. <laughs> you're familiar with yeah. it, but it's almost like that just gives you an entry level so that the next time you can go deeper and you can let God show mm -hmm. you things. And so reading things more than once is absolutely helpful. And we know that sometimes like maybe with a movie, if we've seen the same movie several times over the course of several years, because it's a family favorite or whatever, we notice new things. Mm -hmm. And that's true for the Bible as well. That going back and rereading something can have great value because we ourselves are in a different place in life and God can show us new things coming out. As you were saying that, I was thinking of my kids watching movies over and over and over again, which when I was growing up, we didn't have the opportunity to do that really. But as a result, you know, in the middle of playing a game, they'll suddenly call out a line from some movie <laughs> and everybody knows exactly where they got it from and who said it and they all start laughing or whatever. But you start doing that with the Bible and maybe not even setting out intentionally to memorize, but these things will come to you. And I think the Holy Spirit uses it that way to bring it to our minds to help to apply to different situations. Um, his word is a, becomes alive in us. Yeah. Uh, and and it's way. not that you have to memorize certain verses, but just becoming familiar with the content. Yeah. You're at hand. 
Nothing wrong with memorizing, but no, a lot of people find that hard. No. <laughs> so I wonder if before we go, can you share what's a, what's a favorite verse or passage that you really like to reflect on that's been meaningful to you over the years? Well, this kind of gets back to what we were starting to talk about the yeah. beginning, how my own, what stands out to me in scripture has changed over time. And so mm. I've really the last few years gotten a lot of comfort from certain sections. And so one of them is in Isaiah. And Isaiah is a huge book in the Old Testament, a prophet preaching about all sorts of different eras in history. And one of the things with the prophets is they say a lot of hard words, but they always come back to hope. And mm-hmm. so when I read the prophets, I always want to look for the hope. And this is from Isaiah chapter 54. There's a few verses in the middle of it I really like. And what, what's going on in there before you say what the verses are? What's the context? There's a time when God is speaking to his people about how they feel abandoned by him, which probably Mm -hmm. a lot of us at some point in time have felt. We felt like, God, you weren't there when I needed you. Why did these bad things happen? And God is coming and acknowledging that, first of all, which is so important that that we understand Mm -hmm. God knows our pain and our hurt. And then he's promising that on the other side, there are good things to come. And typical in scripture, it uses a lot of material language to create an image of prosperity and blessing, we might say, that we can apply spiritually to our own lives. So what is the verse? So it's chapter 54 of Isaiah, verses 10 through 12. Catherine, can you read that to us? Sure. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, Yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Afflicted city lashed by storms and not comforted, I will rebuild you with stones of turquoise and your foundations with lapis lazuli. I will make your battlements of rubies and your gates of sparkling jewels and all your walls of precious stones. Oh, that was so beautiful. You know, that's a translation I'm not quite as familiar with, but I love the way uh, the way that sounded. And I'd like to pray with it with everybody who's listening now. So I'm going to read it again, but I'm going to read it in the RSV, Second Catholic Edition, which is what the Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible is in. So if you're listening, close your eyes and allow the Word to speak to your heart. Or you might want to turn to Isaiah 54 and read along as I read. I'm actually going to start with verse 9, which is a a verse before you read, and I'm going to read it again, a verse after what you read, just to kind of give it a little bit more of the context. And as you pointed out, God is speaking to Isaiah and he's talking about Israel, but we can really draw truth and comfort from this just as well. So come Holy Spirit, open our hearts and minds to receive your word. And this again is Isaiah chapter 54, starting in verse 9. As I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, 
Behold, I will set your stones in antimony and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of agate, your gates of carbuncles, and all your walls of precious stones. All your sons shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the prosperity of your sons. In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for making yourself known to us in your word, not only telling us who you are, but showing us and proving it through the story of your people Israel, who you loved and kept your promises to in spite of the many times that they fell away. Thank you for the life and the strength that your word brings to us today. Open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive and ponder what you say to us in Scripture. Give us grace to love and live your word in our daily lives through our Lord Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. And Mary, Mother of the Word, pray for us. Catherine, I have so enjoyed talking with you today. Is there anything that you'd like to add in closing? Thinking about the Old Testament, there is an ancient Christian tradition from the fathers of the church that the life of Israel is the life of our souls. Mm. And so when we're reading about things that happened to people thousands of years ago, we can think about what that means for our personal journey with God today. And sometimes that helps make it a little more understandable. Mm, Beautiful. Thank you. So where can people reach you or find out more about Michigan's Catholic Biblical School? We are online at cbsmich.org. And we have classes in person and online. So we do have people from all over the country and even other parts of the world studying mm. with us in various ways. Wonderful. Thank you for that. And thank you, Catherine, for joining me. I was, you know, I was particularly struck by the way you spoke of the G-rated version of Bible stories that we get as children and then the way those same stories are so much grittier uh, and also meatier you know, packed with meaning that we had no idea of when we were kids. But now we see them differently when we look with our grown-up eyes. And I can attest to that meaning only getting richer the more I know of the rest of the Bible and also of our Catholic faith. So if you are listening, I encourage you to read the Bible. Read those old stories again, not just once, but really get familiar with the whole thing. Find the Word of God with a capital W in the words of God and get to know Him. I'm Sarah Chris Meyer, and this has been the Living the Word Bible Podcast. I hope you'll join me every Thursday for conversations with women who love and live God's Word. This week in the Instagram community, we will share Bible stories that gave us new or surprising insights into God when we read them as adults. Watch for the question at Living the Word Bible. And if you have the Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible, you can read Catherine's introduction to the books of the Pentateuch and to the wisdom literature, and keep track of the things you discover in the brand new companion journal. Both of these are available to you for a special price at AveMariaPress.com. Just use the promo code BiblePodcast in order in 2023. God bless you, and may he reveal himself to you as you read his word.
This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.